Hello everyone and we just want to um, welcome each one of you again as you join with Kate and myself and we trust that you will be encouraged as you meet around God's word and you hear God's word. We just want to let you know that we do thank the Lord for each one of you that come on with us each week and we thank the Lord for our family, our friends, for all our children and grandchildren and for those who are serving the Lord throughout this world. We just appreciate one, each one and we pray that each week that you will be encouraged and that you'll grow a little bit more um, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Hi everyone, great to be with you again. I uh, trust that you've had a, a great week living for the Lord, following him, learning more about him and uh, that you're willing and ready to enter into another new week where our service for him will be um, counted eternally, we, we, we trust. And Pastor James, we're in James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 this week. So James chapter 5, 1 to 6. If you've got a Bible, you want to open it there, that'd be a great thing to do and follow along. We'll, we'll look at the verses throughout our message today. But um, yeah, James is going to speak really directly to us. Uh, very pertinently to us believers living today, uh, probably most likely to you and me, is who he's really addressing. So we need to listen and we want to listen carefully. He, he opens our text in verse 1 of chapter 5 by saying, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So he's speaking here really using condemnatory language, and he's rebuking the wealthy of his day, the people that he's writing to, not for the fact that they have wealth and enjoy their wealth, but rather for their misuse or anticipated misuse of what God has entrusted to them. Uh, remember that statement by Jesus in, in Mark 10, 24? He says, how hard it is for them to trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. You see, the, the Jews in the Lord's time were teaching that if you have wealth, then you would get to heaven. So the wealthy people would be guaranteed eternal life in heaven. Kind of like you can buy your way to heaven, you can buy your way to the kingdom of God. Probably a teaching that hasn't removed itself too far from much of our thinking even today. But in response to um, all of this, uh, the Jews were busily teaching in that time that if you had this wealth, you can get to heaven. But in response to that, Jesus was saying, your riches, your wealth, your money, well, that's the very thing that's making it difficult for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's some like getting in your way. And the reason being is that your wealth gets your focus off your need. And after all, man's need is to have Jesus Christ in his life. But with wealth, we think, you know what, I'm doing okay. I don't necessarily need Jesus. I don't want all this spiritual interruption in my life. So we go on merrily. Well, James wants to warn the believers of his day that there could very well be among you those who are wealthy and whose real God is their money. They look like a believer, sound like a believer, act like a believer, but the real God of their life is their money. So James informs the wealthy that if you choose not to use your wealth that's been entrusted to you for God's glory in God's world in the day in which you live, then you will weep. That's the point he's making in verse, uh, in verse one. That is, God will take you to a place of, a place of grieving, a place of mourning, uh, just like you would for the dead. And he's doing that because you have wealth. He refers to a, a public lamentation, a Jewish-style lamentation. It would kind of be like you and I standing on the street corner and, and wailing uncontrollably because we haven't used our financial wealth to honor and glorify God. We realize I've used it wrongly and we're wailing uncontrollably. 
and he further says that you wealthy will howl if you want. And this is like a, a Middle Eastern cry, uh, crying out loud to any God. You stand there crying out to any God that will listen to him and show mercy to him for his rejection of trusting only Jesus and instead resting confidently in his financial security or the God of his wealth. I remember ministering to a couple who had um, their finances tied up in the share market, and they would come to worship Jesus, come to worship their Redeemer, distressed, struggling, because the market had dropped. Now, the next week, they praised Jesus because the market was up, and the millions of lost, unsaved children died of starvation and went to hell. But we could praise Jesus because our life, our lifestyle is good. That's where I think a lot of the Western church has, has got to uh, today. I think James was saying the same thing of his day. And that's who James is writing to. So he wants you to, to weep and to howl because there are miseries coming upon you. And these miseries, they're going to be hardships and distress and suffering that, that you've brought into your own life because your wealth, your money, it's obscuring your understanding of Jesus and who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus wants to do through you and how he wants to bring glory to God the Father from your life and using your finances, your wealth that he's entrusted to you. Now, now let's be very blunt right here if we can. A message like this is never going to fly in our culture. People are going to click off and say, hey, I don't want to know that. that. That's not my thing at all because I don't consider myself wealthy or else you're having a shot at me. So I want to remove our thoughts from our culture and recognize that this is not about our culture. It's not about what we're about. It's all about God's word and what God expects and what God demands from the people that he's chosen to redeem for his glory. And I'm thinking that's you today. So when James informs his wealthy readers that these miseries are coming upon you, he uses a, a Greek term that refers to the, the certainty of this happening. And by reading his terminology, his readers of that day would be so aware that there's, there's actually no means of escape for them. There's no way they can ever escape this. This is going to happen. <clears throat> so attempt to visualize, <clears throat> excuse me, Attempt to visualize yourself <clears throat> as someone sitting, listening to this letter being read aloud, and you're one of the several wealthy people gathered in the church, or you're one of the wealthy people who have been scattered that James writing to. So visualize that happening. You're one of the wealthy sitting there, and you're hearing this, or you've been scattered, and you're wealthy, and you're reading it. You suddenly realize, I've accumulated X amount of dollars, and I, I haven't used them to glorify God. So misery in God's time is about to enter my life and my money and my wealth. I can't stop it. This misery is going to come and there's nothing that I have that can stop it. You begin to think of ways perhaps to use your money in God's world for God's glory because suddenly you want to avoid the miseries coming to your life. Well, James emphasizes to the rich, you can expect you can anticipate these miseries coming to you because you're guilty of hoarding your wealth. You, you haven't been using this wealth. You're hoarding it for some reason. But, but what are the miseries going to be like? Remember, James is writing of things that are going to come into the world, into the lifestyles of the, the rich, the wealthy people. And with that, we have to appreciate that if you live in more than $2 a day, then you're wealthier than uh, wealthier and richer than 50% of the world that we currently live in. 
also let's understand that it, it is not us who make the call as to whether we are rich, wealthy or not. It's God who makes that call. So we, we're trying to say, I'm not as wealthy as those people or those people or those people, but we have an incredible wealth and access to finances that is unbelievable. So with our having wealth, with our enjoying wealth, comes responsibility, massive responsibility. That's what James is going to hammer to us. And in verses two and three, we begin to appreciate that James is referring to this time period in which we, we currently or presently live, if you want. He refers to the, the last days in verse three, which correlates to the time period between the first coming of Jesus Christ and his future yet to come second coming. So James is saying, these are the last days. This is the time we're talking about. This is what I'm emphasizing. But James says that those of us who are wealthy often live as if Jesus were never coming back. We live like it's all about me today, and it's not about, he's not going to come back quickly, surely. So James suggested in verse 2 that, that we struggle with this tendency to, to hoard stuff, stuff which will decay, will be possibly stolen, will be lost in a fire or in some other form of loss, but it'll all disappear. That's what James wants to point out. And his point is this, those things that we've entrusted, that we've been entrusted with, are to be used entirely for God's glory. That's our finances. It's our vehicles. It's our homes. It's our possessions. It's everything that's been entrusted to us. This is not ours. This has been entrusted to us by God to be used for his glory. So by now you're probably thinking, I'm a little uncomfortable with some of this. Well, hang on because James hasn't finished. He's about to make it a lot more uncomfortable for us. He goes on in verse four to tell us the, the wealthy why it is that they can expect this misery to come into their lives. Here's what he says. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You see, these rich people had gained some of their finances by holding back on paying their laborers, their servants, their slaves, whether it be for a time period or whatever, but they're making other people struggle while they accumulate interest and more growth in their finance. This was a, a practice that these converts to Jesus knew so clearly from their, their Jewish heritage. The Old Testament law forbade them to, to do this sort of thing. So to clarify that, let's read Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 to 15. Back in the law, here's what the Jewish law said. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be found guilty of sin. Now, James warns in this verse uh, that we're reading here, verse, uh, verse 4, he warns that uh, the cries of the workers who have been ripped off by the wealthy have been heard by the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts will address the wealthy merchant <clears throat> who mistreated his workers financially. But who exactly is the Lord of hosts? Well, simply the Lord of hosts is God himself. So, so the, the, their cries have been heard by God, and God is about to respond. But throughout the Old Testament, God took on a variety of names and a variety of titles. And one such name or one such title was Jehovah Sabaoth, which translates as the Lord of the hosts. 
So it's, it's a reference to the sovereign authority and the almighty power of God as he oversees the actions of the armies of heaven being the angelic host. And the, these angel beings were servants of the Lord. They were servants of Jehovah Sabaoth. So in James' time, it was not uncommon then for wealthy businessmen to accumulate this wealth by robbing those who worked for him, which was in some form. And here's what William Barclay um, writes about this. He says, the day laborer in Palestine lived on the very verge of starvation. This is the person working for you. His wage was small. It was impossible for him to save anything. And if the wage was withheld from him, even for one day, he and his family simply could not eat. That is why the merciful laws of Scripture again and again insist on the prompt payment of his wages to the hired laborer. Barclay continues, he quotes from Jeremiah 22:13. Woe to him that builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. And then he quotes Malachi 3, verse 5. Those that oppress the hireling in his wages are under the judgment of God. Barclay concludes, here to say that the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. It is the teaching of the Bible in its every part that the Lord of the universe is concerned for the rights of the laboring man. And swinging back to ourselves then, living today, I want to emphasize that the same responsibility applies today. If you're in business, you need to treat your workers well and you need to pay them well, pay them suitably, pay, pay them appropriately. Don't be holding back. Business possibly has been good to you. And today you live a very comfortable, very satisfied life, but perhaps your workers aren't. Now we come to verse five. James writes in verse five, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You see, the type of luxury and, and, and self-indulgent pleasures that James is referring to have become so prominent, so accepted in our own day, that I think we have become numb to them and we even become acceptant of them. So we think nothing of self-indulgent lifestyles. It's all about me and it's all the things that I want. Basically, James is saying that we have a tendency, mankind has a tendency, which is you and I, with this tendency to eat, to drink, to be merry, basically to get fat. That is, we indulge ourselves in the pleasures of the society all around us. We just throw ourselves in there and say, this is so good. I'm enjoying this. And praise be to God. You see, James would have been familiar with the Roman feasts of his day. And so he's writing in that context. And I suggested that many such feasts actually took place in Nero's palace. Here's what we read about this. Swindoll makes this note about Near, he says, in the middle of the main dining room was something that looked like a well. When asked what it was for, when asked what it was for, the guide replied that Nero and his guests used to eat so much that they could not hold it anymore, so they had to vomit the food they just ate, and this was the place where they did it. Then back to the tables they went. Such was the life of the notorious Nero. He was a man, but he lived like a pig, says Swindoll. Apparently, in the raising of pigs. You continue to shovel food their way as you prepare them for slaughter. You're fattening them for the kill. And that's what Nero was doing. And that's what, and James says, that is what we do if we choose not to use our wealth, not to use our possessions to glorify God. So the misery of us not using our wealth for God's honor and glory then is awaiting us. 
And here in the West, pretty much we are the fat cats of our world. And with our misuse of what God has entrusted to us to use it for him, then we're, we're being spiritually slaughtered because our attention is on ourselves and what we have and the pleasures of living as we want to live rather than as God would have his people to live in his world today. So our attention is never fully on God, never fully before Jehovah Sabaoth. We're not fearful of the Lord of hosts. We think we just live as we want and use our finances as we want. And to that, Pastor James says this, get concerned, rich folk, because you have condemned, you've literally sentenced and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This, this person can't resist you in any way. And the reason as to why average Joe doesn't or cannot resist a wealthy person is simply because he, he hasn't access to the financial capability of doing that. So the poor man is constantly walked over by the rich, by the wealthy. And as wealthy people who profess to love Jesus and who desire to glorify God, let us covenant to live differently from those referred to by Pastor James here in this writing. Now I want to wrap up today with just two simple clarifications. You may, you may be um, relieved or whatever that. Two simple clarifications. Number one, God is not opposed to you having wealth. Please understand that. But he is ultimately concerned about your attitude and my attitude towards the wealth that we have. The Apostle Paul writes these confronting and amazing words in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 and 10. Here's what Paul writes. But if we have food and clothing, which I'll make the assumption most of us have, with these we will be content. Are we content? That's the question ringing for us. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, uh, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. We're familiar with that phrase, but that's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, says Paul, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pines, with many troubles, with many grievances. And God wants us then <clears throat> to be content with the basic necessities of life. <clears throat> so if we have a, a hunger, a thirst, a craving to be richer, wealthier, which I'm going to make the suggestion probably most of us have. Perhaps we have a, ser a very serious problem on our hands. More importantly, God may have a very serious problem with us. God never condemns those who are rich, but he constantly, constantly judges those who aim, whose aim in life it is to be rich and richer and richer. I just read this morning about a, a man who was scammed of $200,000. But you know what? When you really think about it, he put the $200,000 in because he was hoping to make a lot more money. And it fell apart. And it's bankrupted him in some way. <clears throat> now, all of that means that the prosperity teachers, that this wealth, this uh, desire to be richer and so on, uh, and God's con constantly judging those whose aim it is to be rich. For me, anyway, that means that these prosperity preachers in my opinion are in serious trouble before God because their desire is to make me wealthier 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 as some indicator that God is somehow blessing me and I think they should prepare themselves for the the misery that's what James calls it the misery that will come upon them eternally eternally that this is how serious these things are so God's not opposed to us having wealth 
but he's very concerned as to how you and I and any believer, any person claiming to be a believer, uses that wealth. Number two, God is not opposed to those who are wealthy, but he is opposed to the, the wrong priorities or the incorrect priorities of the wealthy. Listen as to what Paul says in um, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. <clears throat> as for the rich in this present age, this is Paul writing, so it's the word of God, and he's just putting it out, out there. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, uh, set themselves up, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're too good to do good. This is the, the rich people there to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's Paul's statement, God's statement through Paul via the Spirit as to how we should live. So with wealth comes the, the incredible pressure of responsibility. See, there's going to be a massive temptation to trust in your finances for your future security. And our society tells us that's the way we have to go. My, my super is good. My retirement plan is good. When we travel, we'll, we'll travel Australia-wide, doing our own thing in retirement. We'll eat where we want. We'll buy what we want. But we'll stay in the best hotels. Retirement for us will be so good. It is something great to look forward to. It's the philosophy that's put into every Western person, I think. Certainly here in Australia, that's the philosophy driven into us. Um, and God says all of that. You've just bought into the lie of the enemy. Your, your finances are yours is what the enemy is telling you. And you forget who has entrusted them to you. And he's entrusted these finances to you to use those finances to glorify him. Your finances, your wealth, it all belongs to God. And he doesn't need it back. He doesn't want it back because he gave it to you, believing and hoping that by the leadership of this Holy Spirit that is within every truly redeemed believer, that you would then be convicted to use that money to turn this world to God, to somehow have the world being pushed toward an understanding of God, because that's why Jesus died. He died that people can be saved. He died that people can be, uh, the gospel can be proclaimed. He died that churches can be birthed. He died that God can be glorified. And God says, I've entrusted these finances to you to use them for that end. So as we pray today, I want to ask, invite you and ask you to, to commit your money, commit your wealth, all of it, to God, your possessions, everything. Say, Lord, these are yours. If, if you take them away, like, like Job said, praise be to your name. But Lord, if I'm having them, I want to use them for your glory, for your honor. And as you say amen to your prayer, remember what you've done. And remember what you've told, uh, remember who you've told that to. You've actually spoken that to God himself, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of, the ho Lord of hosts, uh, the one who rules all things. So you're speaking to God today. And he says, just make sure that's right. And as you, as we finish our time then, begin to use your wealth in the manner in which the Holy Spirit tells you. Begin to be a real giver, a real user for God's glory in that sense. But begin to say, Lord, I, I want to use all of this for you. I don't know how long I've got, but I want to use it for you. That will be a, a big step in life. That'll be a transforming life, a changing life, but that'll be a life that really glorifies and magnifies 
God. Let me pray for you. And as I pray, you pray your prayer too, just committing all your wealth, your finances, your possessions, everything to God. And remember you're praying to the Lord of hosts who will use that uh, through you to bring glory to his holy name. Let me pray for you. Lord, I, I bring all of these listeners to you. I just pray that you will bless them, that you'll minister to them. This is a, a tough message. Pastor James is a, a tough writer, but Lord, he's inspired by your spirit. So he, he speaks your mind, your truth. And Lord, we want to get that truth to your people. Lord, I just pray that each one of us here will take on board whatever our wealth is, Lord, and we'll use that for you, that we'll see we're incredibly wealthy. We have a lot of stuff, a lot of possessions, possibly some we don't even need. Help us to get rid of them if we need to. But Lord, help us be a people. You just say, Lord, take this, all that I have, everything, Lord, take it all, and it's for you. Uh, you're entrusting it to me. So Lord, you've given me the joy of it for a season. If you take it away, then you've used it in that season. Lord, be blessed, be glorified. And we thank you for our great salvation, our great redemption in the Lord Jesus. And Father, if there's anyone listening here who's worked their way through this message and they don't know you to be their savior, then Lord, I pray that they would call upon you. You're the only one who can uh, forgive them of their sin through Jesus. You're the only one who can indwell them with your Holy Spirit. You're the only one who can lead them to yourself. So Lord, we ask for a, a ministering of you, a revival working from you, Lord, ministering to these people and leading many to Jesus today. Be glorified, Father, we pray and be honored. And we ask all of this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for working your way through that one. Thank you for listening and be blessed and be encouraged as we step out and use our finances or wealth or possessions to glorify him. Thanks and we'll catch you soon. Be blessed.